Today's podcast is brought to you by... It's brought to you by Man of Tea, but it's just me and you talking about us. It is, yeah. This this is... Uh, we thought it'd be valuable to give a little insight into who we are, uh, some of the challenges that we've had to deal with in our lives, um, and, uh, and a, you know, a, a look into the relationship that we have together. Yeah, um, in full disclosure... We're, we're talking about this afterwards and on the day of the podcast, I was in a real, I was in a bit of a funk. I'm not going to lie. I, I was feeling down. And so you get to witness that. Yeah. And I made him do it anyway, because this, made, is what this, do it. this is what this podcast is about. It's about being vulnerable, uh, being honest and sharing things yeah. that, that are often hard to share. Right. Um, well, have so, a listen, have a listen. Let us know what you think. Yeah, and uh, please enjoy responsibly. Responsibly. Hi, everybody. I'm Topher. I'm one of the hosts of Tea Talks, the podcast. I am 34 years old. I live in Montreal, Quebec. I don't speak French, and I'm insecure about that. I uh, I suffer from anxiety and panic attacks, and I'm incredibly passionate about helping men understand they can ask for help and talk about their feelings with their friends and their family and uh and be real who are you i'm jamie i live in new brunswick i'm 35 years old and i suffer from drug addiction i was a drug addict a using drug addict for i don't know 20 years ish but currently have uh over 60 days clean and sober uh and i'm grateful for that i would like to be part of the change in what it means to be a man today and that vulnerability is cool like i think it would be neat to have a shirt that said i was vulnerable before vulnerable was cool tover we have been friends for a long time and we grew up together we both love sailing we're both like athletic uh we live close together we've had a passion for biking for sailing a lot of our passions intertwined I would say became best friends. I know I was your best friend. I don't know if you, if you were necessarily mine. I had a lot of friends, but um, <laughs> anyway, that that was in high school or, or like elementary school. Whenever you moved here from England, and fast forward to present day, and we've decided to start a podcast. Yeah, it's it's a long way from where we started our yeah. friendship. I met you in 1999, which Lucky is now 23 years ago. Which is mental. That's, um, that's, that's why you were one of the first. You were one of the first people I met in Canada when I moved here. Did you move here in, in like what time of year was it? March. It was March, so it was coming up on the sailing season. Yeah, yeah, March twenty seventh, I think. March twenty seventh, nineteen ninety nine. The house that you moved into was like directly behind the sailing club. Yeah where and i lived just down the street from the sailing club and i had spent all my summers previous up to then at the at the yacht club so we ran into each other there and at junior at junior sailing at junior sailing right yeah and that yeah uh, that's where this ridiculous journey began yeah we were all there was like a group of six of us who basically hung out and sailed every single day that first summer the summer of 99 yeah. which was uh smash mouth had a record that we played on repeat and that's so funny yeah. hey now you're an all-star <laughs> i don't remember like all of us like walking down to the dock like singing that that song yeah yeah amazing amazing summer we uh weird rock beach and yeah all that all of that all of that craziness like the bike crew the bike crew duck, spin the bottle the duck rock duck rock yeah all that stuff um <laughs> Yeah, and then so fast forward to today, and we decided to start a podcast around men's mental health. You and I were just having a discussion about like why we started this podcast. I think back not that long ago, like a few weeks or months ago. I mean, for the last few years, you and I have been talking about doing something like this. But if I think back to just a couple couple weeks ago, you and I were talking a lot on the phone and sharing you were sharing sort of your journey with addiction and, and mental health and i was sharing some of my stuff and i shared with you a blog that i wrote about my mental health journey and 
one of the things that we were both really, I think, like aligned on was just how important sharing those stories have been for each of our each of our experiences. Um, I think for you, you were coming out of a facility where sharing was a massive part of the the therapeutic journey. And for me, I was coming from a place that it took a long time for me to realize that I wasn't broken because of my anxiety and panic attacks. Um, and then ultimately, once I did start sharing my story, it sort of diffused it to a point where I'm no longer ashamed of that. And I want to help other people feel the same way. And, and I realized that who gives a fuck about anxiety and panic attacks? There's a lot of people dealing with that stuff. And let's let's come, let's get to a point where we can all speak openly about these these different issues. So that was like my my perspective on like why we you and I sat down and started this. Yeah, I mean, to go back even further, like we grew up sailing, we went to high school together. Uh, we remained close throughout sailing. You know, I think of, of our group of friends, you and I had the highest passion for sailing. I think that would be fair to say. Oh, absolutely. And and then we went we away. The we weren't the best, but we had the most passion for it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But we but we also were bad. No, no, we're, we're good. We're good. Anyway, so we both went our separate ways to university. I went to Memorial and you went to Acadia. We both had, well, I can't speak for you, but I had a socially very exciting two years and academically two very disappointing years so when we came when i came home from newfoundland that summer you and i spoke and i think you were in uh, roughly the same position i would say my uh my experience in university was identical right so we both said uh we both decided that we would go on a trip to no we would start a campaign and go to australia yeah so if i if i remember we were at a movie theaters <laughs> yeah. um we had not made the decision ourselves to not go back to university that was made for us by the universities independently um um <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we were in a movie theaters and you were like a couple seats down and i turned to you and we you and i've been talking a little bit about sailing and and traveling and i said jamie we should go to europe and sail I-14s, like International 14s, which is a, a two-man sailing boat. Um, and you said, no, we should go to Australia and sail 49ers, which is uh, a very, very similar boat, just an Olympic class. And uh, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and then we watched the movie. I don't remember what movie it was. I don't remember a movie. It was hard to, like, you know, both of our minds went crazy once we realized that, like, we were going to do that. So then we spent the next three to four years traveling the world uh competing in world championships and I, I we were as close as two people can be at that point we lived literally inside of a small van for most of that time yeah and like mental health at that time was not our focus i would say like neither of us it's i, I, I can't turn it wasn't a concern it wasn't really you know like we would probably drink too much and and we would be hung over and deal with those consequences. And like looking back now, I have a lot of thoughts and a lot of regrets, to be honest, about how how I treated that opportunity because I think I could have given more to it and been more focused if I had been more aware of my mental health. Mm -hmm. um, you know, as we, as we make it into, there was things that like I was continually working hard <laughs> at burying and and not thinking about and sailing was really good at that but you can't sail 24 hours a day on a 49er yeah so you know when we were at home afterwards like drinking became you know in between sailing sessions drinking became you know pretty aggressive for us i would say yeah yeah for sure do you want to talk a little bit about sort of what led to all of that um from like your from like your your addiction perspective because when we were when we were going through that the the sailing campaign um yeah. i i wasn't aware of any of this stuff uh yeah to me we just we were we recreationally were partiers yeah well yeah when i was when i was 15 i was sexually abused far from home and i didn't tell anybody and in fact, to be totally honest, I didn't even think that I was sexually abused. 
I thought that I had had like a, a gay homosexual encounter and that I was just a willing participant. So I stuffed all that down and didn't tell anybody and just continued on as if life was normal, despite this like this thing, this really ugly, ugly pussing wound that nobody could see and me trying as hard as I can to make sure nobody sees it and that I never think about it. Um, which was really difficult. So like before we went to Australia, like part of the reason that I wasn't invited back to university is because I had been doing hard drugs the whole time. And I don't think you were aware of that. No. And, no. you know, and that's, and I feel awful about that because you committed <clears throat> years of your life to somebody who and but at the, to be fair to myself at the time, I didn't realize what I was doing. I thought the same as you that I thought that I was just partying and having a good time. I didn't realize that I was any different than like some people can just do some coke on the weekends and then not think about it for the rest of the week. Where I would do some coke on the weekends and then you know wake up Monday morning and need more mm. and need to drink more. And anyway, just just so just so you know. Um... I've never, I've never looked back at our experience that we had campaigning for the Olympics and sailing. I've never looked back at that experience and felt resentment because, because you had a drug problem. I, I don't, I don't, there's not, there's no part of me that thinks that that was like a selfish thing you did or that it was even like a conscious act you made. Yeah. I like, if, if, if anything, like I've told you this before, but like, I feel I, I don't anymore, but I felt bad that I didn't know at the time. And I completely, I completely understand. I don't know how to, I don't know how to articulate. Well, I, I understand. And I, and I, I trust in you that like, it was not you with like malintent. And no. like, I don't feel as though any time of my life was wasted. I think the experience that I had that we had was incredible. Um, was an amazing and an incredibly important part of my life. Do I wish we had tried harder at times or gotten better results? Yeah, but that's hard to say because like I'm in a really, really happy place in my life today that I may not be if sure. things had gone differently. Sure. So, so I just I don't I, I don't have any regrets about that. I, I and I and I certainly don't have and have never ever. I'm not just saying this, but I, I never had ill feelings towards you and your your addiction. Yeah, and listen, and I, I know we've talked we've talked about this a lot, but um, I do appreciate you saying that because I don't know. I I hope you know how much I like legit. I love you. you yeah, know? no, I, I I do know. You that. know, so so it's there's sad, no really. It's it's embarrassing. I know. There's no part of me that there's no part of me that would ever do anything. It would be the exact opposite. I would self sabotage a million times before I would ever try and hurt anybody else let alone like my best friend yeah, yeah so yeah. and have done before so yeah we we spent that and then that like the funding basically ran out we didn't make the canadian sailing team we we kind of fizzled and i guess i would say kind of at that point we parted ways like at the end of our sailing campaign we we still got together to do sailing events but those began to become fewer and farther between fewer and farther between thank you welcome and uh I, honestly i'm not really sure what you were up to but on my side of things like once we got home from that in the high of like chasing a dream and being all over the world um the come down from that was horrific for me because that ugly thing and this is only and i still hadn't told anybody about what had happened because i i couldn't admit it even to myself really Anyway, so I could I just continued on the hard drug journey and continued to do drugs and I was working at my family business and like creating so much turmoil there. My dad was trying to be my dad and my anyway, it was a real mess and I ended up in in rehab 5 years ago, I guess. And that's when I first told somebody about this incident and that was the first time when I explained the incident that like Joan was her name, the counselor, and she she told me like Jamie that that wasn't your fault, and that was such a huge moment in my life. Mm -hmm. Like I had carried it for fifteen years or sixteen years, whatever it was, thinking that I had like 
it created so much shame, right? And I guess that's part of what this podcast is about, right? Is about things that you don't talk about, that you don't shed light on, will grow and grow and grow until you have to deal with it. And and I chose to deal with it by doing drugs and doing a lot of them and trying, you know, slowly trying to kill myself through through drugs. I didn't want to put a gun in my mouth, but I was, that was the first thing they asked me when I got to rehab is why are you trying to kill yourself? And I had no idea. I never thought of it that way. Mm. But he said, what do you mean? What do you mean? Like, think about it. You, you don't sleep, you don't eat, you just do drugs all day long. You know, you have no money, you have no nothing. You know, you're just trying to kill yourself. There's something inside of you that you don't like. Anyway, fast forward in and out of no, rehab. I, I put it but but I, I think that that's a that's a really important time in your life because from what I understand that's the first time that you talked about like any of your trauma you talked about basically you talked about your mental health for the first time that's up until it, that yeah. point you had been shielding like the pain that you had and keeping everything inside and you never talked to I mean I I live with you literally in a van like you said you kind of brushed over that earlier but like you and i when we moved to australia we lived in a van the first the first thing we bought was a boat the second thing we bought was a van we moved over there and it was a like an eight passenger van that we converted to be a like living van and uh we did not do a particularly good job with it so we had basically a bed that was 12 inches from the ceiling and uh and we lived in that for for nearly a year together and yeah. we went through all kinds of shit. We, you know, at one point when we were there, we were like completely broke to the point where we were bumming money from the people in the hostel that we were staying at. And the only reason we were able to stay in the hostel was because we were working there as bus drivers. Um, so we had free room and board. Like we went through so much shit. And at no point during that time did you did you talk about that? You were you were and I I, I don't judge you for that at all. Yeah. yeah. Um it's just it's it's fascinating that like i was the closest person in your life by and, far and and still yeah. there was no part of you that thought it was necessary or important or helpful to share that that part of your life and e even even the drug side of things yeah and, and like and i thought part of me was cured you know i thought part of me was cured because while we were sailing i wasn't doing hard drugs i did them like the odd time in australia but but other than that, we just drank and like, you know, you drank as much as I did basically. So like, yeah, um, didn't seem like a problem. And then I came home and, and I just fell in with a crowd who continued to do drugs. And, but yeah, that was the first time I like admitted that I had an addiction only when I admitted an addiction and then had been in a rehab for like two weeks with this psychiatrist, like poking and prodding at me and like, pulling memories out it's not like i strolled in there and was like hey, hey guess what happened to me i because i didn't it, that was not in my even though it was always with me it it was not that was not the reason i just needed to stop doing drugs and that's when i first heard the phrase that like drugs aren't the problem they're the answer to a question right so you just need to find a different answer to that problem that's why we're here that's why we're here to to let people know that talking about feelings and trauma and loss and grief and all those things are incredibly important. Yeah, man. And just like to, to tie it together, like from day one on that journey of, of like getting sober or, or like being an addict and then getting sober, admitting I'm an addict and then like going up and down and up and down. It's just like anyone knows who's been in recovery is like, it's not a one shot deal. Most usually, you know, it takes, an, it takes a lot of attempts and you as a friend, you've never judged me. You've never not been there for me, you know, besides my parents and like immediate family, like who I don't, who I sometimes can't share everything with. You've been like the, uh, you've been the guy in my corner who I've always felt I could rely on and, and you never judge me. And I think that if people can take anything away from how you behaved towards a drug addict is that you never judge me. You know, you just, you dealt with me in whatever situation I was in at the time and just offered to support that, you know, during my ups and downs. And you've been an amazing, amazing friend. I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah. And that's why I do it really is just to hear you say that. I'm joking, obviously. Um, yeah. But then when we got together, sorry, when we got. No, no. 
no 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 i i just on on that point i think that like i i i appreciate everything you just said i just i don't i don't think there's any value in 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 passing judgment on these things because everyone is dealing with their own shit everyone's dealing with their own demons and no one's perfect um right but, th but that's your perspective a lot of people a lot of people in my in my inner circle for for sure for sure i'm just abandoned I'm, me. I'm just telling you what like for me i don't find it difficult because i look at everyone and like I've never met anyone that I consider to be perfect, other than maybe our friends Louie and Erica, mind-blowing people. Uh, they're, the, they're the only people. And I'm sure they've got skeletons in their closet too. But uh, no, I just, so to me, it's just like, like I'm not a religious person. I, I don't like follow any like, like Bible verses or fables or anything, but I really do believe in the like, why would you judge someone else when you know that every single person is like dealing with their own shit and, and, and no one's perfect. In like the startup world, everyone has this thing that they deal with called imposter syndrome, where no one feels worthy of the success or the positions that they're in. And like the biggest irony behind the imposter syndrome is that every single person you talk to is dealing with imposter syndrome so like in itself it doesn't make sense because right like no one feels worthy right and like i've i've been in meetings with people who are like getting paid hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to work for very big companies and like you can see that they don't feel worthy of the position they're in and i just i, I think because everyone's dealing with shit it's like listen to people and like understand that like everyone is just projecting their own insecurities and when people yeah. judge, I think it's it's simply that it's people projecting their own insecurities. They're they're worried that their skeletons are going to be unearthed, and that's why they they present that way. I, I, that's that's just my opinion. I don't know if it's yeah, true. Yeah, I, I think I think you know from my side of the fence, people people in, like when you get close when you're close with someone, like you fortunately, I think for our friendship, haven't lived we haven't lived close to each other for for some time. You know, you've been at close the closest like an hour and a half away. Mm. but like the people who who were really close with me like the first times i was trying to get sober they themselves i like i pushed a lot like when i was when i would fail and relapse like they took that really hard right you know what i mean like they had put a lot of sweat and tears and and effort into my sobriety right so then for me to fail and then to continue lying and like being deceitful like I can understand how it pushes people away and I have no ill feelings towards those people because I think the other part of like sharing and being w vulnerable with people is protecting yourself. You know what I mean? Like fortunately for, for our friendship, I've been able to be vulnerable to you and you haven't had felt the need to put up a wall between us mm -hmm. to protect yourself because I don't know, you have an amazing capacity to love or, you know what I mean? Yeah, or, or or maybe it's because as soon as we hang up the phone, I can just forget about you. That's, I mean, that's that's a health. That's not a bad. That's not a bad thing. You know, seriously. <laughs> um, do you do you think that um, just on the question of like you like with relapsing and and failure and sobriety? Do you think that the people who have been supporting you um, and like I, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular with this question. Yeah. Uh, but do you think that your failure? can sometimes be seen as a reflection of their failure. And that's why there's resentment because people are putting in so much effort to support you. And if you, if you don't make it happen, they rather than looking at it as you letting yourself down, it's how I would try and view it is it's you letting them down and somehow bring out the insecurity of their failure. Yeah. Maybe if I understand your question, like they're blaming themselves for my failure blaming themselves for your failure and and uh yeah feeling like shame personally about your failure yeah Stupid. it could be i mean the crazy thing about drugs is like and like i've been to a lot of na meetings and uh, and it's like it's so easy to get frustrated with people with drug addicts because it's like what do you have to do to stop being a drug addict don't do drugs <laughs> like that's it yeah. you know but that's it like literally just don't put that needle in your arm or that whatever you know that's it yeah, all yeah. you have to do is not do that yeah but I, I mean the this the same thing there's like a there's a meme that i saw and i've seen it like a bunch of times about depression where it's like the uh it's the it's simba from the lion king and uh and he's like yeah my dad just died like i'm depressed 
and Pumbaa's like, he's like, hey, have you tried just like not giving a fuck? And it's like <laughs> that, you know, that like that thing where it's like, oh, you're depressed. Well, why don't you just be happy? Yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's like understand yeah. for sure. If that was possible, everyone that had depression would go, oh, right. Yeah. Like, fuck, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. But like there's so much underlying stuff to it it's not as it's not just as simple as that right 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 and then then part, partly is that that's my fault on not, not like maybe probably educating the people i needed to around me about like what it is exactly that i'm going through and that's on me you know what i mean and yeah. and i i've got no regrets it's i am where i am and i'm happy about where i am right now because you know after me sharing so much of my turmoil with you you know like I remember I, I was I was uh, like walking the dogs out on a walk at night, and I think like that's when you first shared with me that like you had been suffering as well, you know, like, and I'm sure that was difficult for you because well, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but in my head it seems like I've got. I hope you never thought that I value your problems less than my my problems. No, um, I know because, because I didn't. No, I I remember that I. I don't know where I was like with like the comfort of it, of my, my anxiety, but I also probably at the time was like aware that I didn't want to try and trivialize what you were going through. Which, it, which in no way, which in no way it does. Like I think no, no. two people can, and like, if that's a message of, the, of this podcast that we can bring is that like, just because you have a friend who's going through something huge, a divorce, uh, loss, it doesn't mean that you can't share your version of like where your mental health is at that time. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. For sure. Like people, people can hold two things at once. A hundred percent. And and no one's, no one's story is trivial or unimportant or uninteresting. Um, I mean, some people have uninteresting stories, but um, no one's, no one's journey with mental health is, is, is not worthy of, being listened to um i want i want to backpedal just like a minute to something you said about education um because you said that it was your fault or part of your fault that you didn't educate people more around around like addiction as a disease i think that firstly it's not your fault that you didn't educate people more i think that this is one of the biggest challenges with addiction and we're learning this about so many different um diseases I think this is also one of the biggest issues with mental health in general is we we don't we're we're not educated on how to deal with someone or to help someone or support someone who has mental health issues. Um, even the even the medical system is not equipped properly to deal with with mental health issues and diseases. The, the problem is the onus falls on the person who's dealing with the issue and they end up not getting the support they need, not being able to get medical support, not being able to get emotional support. Um, and in often cases, in too many cases, that's what leads to suicide um, yeah. because people go through these things quietly or, or silently. And if anyone's listening to this and they feel that they need to need support, there are, there are places that you can reach out to and we'll, we'll find a way to link to them um that will let you yeah. know about um after the fact we can send you to manatee.com forward slash help um where we'll put up some resources but i think that this is the this is the overarching issue with with mental health is you took on the responsibility there and you said oh i didn't educate people about my addiction and it's like well that shouldn't be another thing that you have to fucking deal with while you're trying to get yourself sober and right. and, and also <clears throat> the way it is today is we also can't assume or rely on our family and our friends to know how to support. And, and I, we, I don't have an answer to this. I'm just simply yeah. highlighting it as, well, as uh, yeah. part of a big, a big part of like why, why I think that this conversation and, and conversations like this in our podcast are important because I think that through these conversations we're we're learning that like, you know the the best way to understand what like someone you love a friend or family member is dealing with is to just is to listen openly and to promote vulnerability and promote open open conversation um so that we can find out like what can be supported for you or yeah. or, or the person yeah yeah well well and i think like um 
a lot of the teaching that they focus on at, at rehabs, all the rehabs, the different ones I've been at, um, you know, like asking for help is, is a huge part of what we, what we learn because yeah. during active addiction, it's constantly pushing people away, right? Anyone who's of any good to you, you see as a person who will get between you and your drug. Right. Right. So you push everyone away. Can I give you a hand with this? No, no one's allowed to see in. So right. As you come out of that, like you have to almost relearn the skill of asking for help. Um, and, and it's doable. Like you just ask for help. Um, and, and it's all part of the process, you know, and, and that's how people can be good friends is, is, is by listening to what they're like active listening, not listening to reply, but like actively listening. Mm. And then, you know, some of the onus does fall on the individual to ask for the help, Yeah, you know, and, and what somebody told me once, which, which I thought was, which I carry with me whenever I think about asking for help is like, like my brother asked me for help once. And I, I remember how I felt. I felt, so humbled, so honored, so great, so grateful that he asked me to help him. You know what I mean? It was an amazing yeah. feeling. So every time that I don't ask for help from somebody, I'm denying them those good feelings. Right. So, you know, reach out for help. Uh, and if you don't get the answer you want, ask somebody else or, you know, try another resource. But like, there are people who care for people out there. Yeah. We're two of them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that an interesting point of that is if you ask for help from someone and they, they don't say yes, then there's a pretty good chance it's because they're dealing with stuff themselves and they don't feel worthy of being able to help you. And, yeah. and in, in those situations, you know, you can probably turn the table yeah. and say, are you okay? Like, yeah, sorry. Or, or they're like, you have to respect people's boundaries, right? Like, yes, like you yes. said, they could be dealing with something themselves. And at that time, they don't have the capacity. The, yeah, the emotional capacity to to take something on, and like they're doing you a favor if they say no, right? Yeah, like, yeah, exa exactly. For sure. Yeah. For Some, sure. Something I, I remember from um, when you when you did your one of your first stints in rehab, um, you you asked me, um, you kind of explained to me that there was certain certain things that were part of your life that were I don't want to use the word triggering because I don't really want to use that in this in this sense, but that yeah. were part of like that I guess were part of your habit and and would cause you to to fall into sort of an, an automatic behavior, uh, which yeah. in in this case was like driving to a drug dealer, right. um, taking an exit on a highway, for instance, right. was, was the specific thing. And you said you said, would I be would you would would I be okay? Would you would it be okay if um, randomly I called you, um, just to have a conversation because chances are I'm driving by this specific place and yeah. I need a distraction. And I was like, this is one of those instances with help, but like, I was so grateful that you were honest about like how brittle you were right? Like in that situation. And yeah. like, at no point was I like, man, fuck you. Just drive past the exit. Like stop being such a pussy. Right. right. Which is like, which could be like a really easy knee jerk reaction to be like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. And a fear of mine in asking it that like, yeah, some, somebody could say that, you know? Yeah. Like, like I'm like, dude, dude just no. don't fucking, just don't put your blinker on. Don't turn the wheel. Like, right. Just drive straight. But I, but obviously that's, you know, I, I never, I never went there. I was like, yeah. I, like, I can't imagine if, if, if you are asking this question of me, I can't imagine how difficult it must be for you to not take that exit. Right. And, and so I, I just remember feeling so grateful that you shared that with me. And I was like, fuck yeah, man. Like, yeah. If, and I've, I've said this to you a hundred times, like if there's any time you need to call and talk, like just call. And I'm not my, the other thing that, that I learned with you like very early on. And I think you asked this of me, it wasn't, wasn't anything I came up myself was if we're having a conversation, it's not helpful for you for me to ask you how you're going. Like, are you sober? Like, right. Like that's not, that's just not a question that's helpful for you through this. It's more, you remember more that? In, what? You remember that? Oh, a hundred percent. Because, because that was something, um, 
this is no discredit to anyone anyone else in your like support team yeah yeah but i remember you saying that it was something that like bugged you about interactions with other people because they were so invested in your recovery that that was the first question that they asked you and it did the opposite it, it like it it like dug at you and like pissed you off yeah and i you you know you and i are we have a deal now that when uh in a year's time we're going to go on a surfing trip together the only criteria is that you're sober um yeah. and funny. just to, just on that point my mom like they've been supporting me but financially yeah um they have access to all my money they have access to i don't even have a bank card and I, I have my house for sale like one of my rental houses for sale to must be nice to cover well i gave the other one to my i know i know, I know. children's mother but yes it is it it was nice at the time and now i'm selling it to pay back my parents their bridge loan but there's going to be a little bit of money left over <clears throat> and i and she asked me what i wanted for christmas and i said i don't want anything for christmas but what i do want is to go on a surfing trip next September, October to somewhere hot. And yeah. she was like, done. That was the easy part. <laughs> <laughs> the hard part is going to be staying sober for the next, whatever, 322 days. No. No, with less than that now. It's like 200. 300, almost 300 e even. Yeah, yeah. Two, well, less because we're in December. Right. So it's like fucking 250 days. Easy no, peasy. Not. I got I've got 67 days clean. I know, but it's not a year. It's not a year from today. It's if I'm 65 days in. Oh, 365. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Jeez, yeah. let's keep that in for sure. Jeez, that's <clears> why <throat> I didn't finish university. <laughs> and all your companies failed. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, straight into my insecurities. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where I, I think you know your greatest gift to me has been your ability to identify your, all of your flaws no to not judge me for them and oh. like there's and like the, the times i've shared with you the times where like you've texted me or like we've made an appointment or i'll call you back or you've called me and for some reason for some somehow like you can call me over the span of two weeks like 10 to 10 different times and me not respond once and then i'll call you back and you have this amazing capacity to just be like, what's up? Even though like it, for me, I like since the first missed call, I build up this huge thing in my head of like, oh my God, like I keep ditching his calls. And like, we were supposed to do this podcast or we were supposed to do this thing and I didn't do it. And, and then when I finally just get the courage up to pick up the phone, you're just always just like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? Yeah. You know, you, you know, if I'm not, you know me well enough now that like, if I'm, if I'm ignoring and doing these things, I'm having a rough time and that you don't pile on, you know, you, you don't pile on, which a lot of people do. Most people pile on. Yeah. I, I wonder if those people don't, don't suffer from anxiety though, because like, I think one of the reasons I never, it doesn't bug me at all is because just to go into my history, because that's kind of what we're doing this podcast is so that people can. Yeah know who we are and how Talk about your ass for a bit. six or seven years ago um right after my daughter was born i was running i was kind of at the early stages of running a startup just raised a bunch of money just hired a bunch of people wasn't getting a lot of sleep because i had a newborn baby under a lot of stress and stress and pressure at work i was like walking through a grocery store and just like had this overwhelming sense of like dizziness that i was gonna pass out or like have a stroke or heart attack or die and had no idea where it was coming from um i was it was like a routine grocery shop with my family right. i i ended up like panicking rushing out of the grocery store I left my wife with my daughter to finish the shop laid in the car and was like what the fuck's happening to me and then followed that up with like a whole bunch of doctor's visits trying to like figure out what was wrong with me i got mris done i got tests on my heart i got blood work done i you know, I probably went to the doctor like seven times, eight times, um, just running all these tests. And like, I didn't think that I was dying, but I was like, surely there's something wrong that can be like fixed here. Um, right. I'm like a pretty practical person. So I was like, I probably have like low iron or something, or like maybe my thyroid's off. And the other thing that was really baffling me was like, at the time I was playing a lot of squash and I would play squash for like two or three hours and I'd be completely fine. I like 
you know, my heart rate wasn't high. I was like, I could breathe well and do all this shit. So I was like, like, I can't be, it can't be that I'm just not fit or something. So I was just like, it was very weird. Anyway, it turns out that it was a panic attack and I was because of the stress and lack of sleep and all the, and just everything piled on in my life. I was, uh, I was having like seriously serious anxiety and this like manifested itself in panic attacks in all kinds of places like in meetings i would be at lunch and i would just be sitting across from someone and all of a sudden i could just fucking feel my temperature go up my heart rate go up like eyes would go dizzy i couldn't listen and uh and it, it became debilitating to the point where like i wouldn't take meetings or i wouldn't travel and it took it took a long time for me to realize what it was probably about like six months to a year worth of tests just because everything takes a long time and then finally when it did happen i had so much shame around it and that like unfortunately created more anxiety because now all of a sudden i'm the ceo of the company we have you know a dozen employees we've raised money we're growing our client base we're doing all these things and I have to confront the fact that like, according to society, I'm not strong enough to actually like run a company. I've got like some sort of incurable thing that really is sort of a, I'm just being a pussy. Yeah, you're um, deficient. What I'm, yeah, exactly. I have some sort of like, I don't know if it's, it's not considered a disability, but like um, some sort of a, a thing that's me like messing me up. Obviously the first person I told was Ari and she had seen like what i was going through and she's like oh that makes total sense and and like that was her response and like if there's anything you need let me know like this is no big deal i was like holy shit like she doesn't think i'm less of a man she doesn't think right. that like i'm not going to be a good father or like all this shit she was just like yeah okay like what do we do now like is there anything we can do like blah 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 right. and i'm like okay, none of those fears that you had built up nothing i mean like I'd, yeah yeah I mean, she was nothing but supportive, which is Not, a testament to Ari, who's an amazing woman. Yeah, you know, and like I joked with her, I joked with her as like, yeah, I don't know what I was expecting, like, because she's a decent human being. And it's like, well, no, like, she's like, she's an amazing human being, but also the, this is the reaction that like everybody should have to something like this. And then I, I kind of I kept it from the company for for a while, and then I like continued to have panic attacks, and it it wasn't necessarily affecting business because I. I, I just, I didn't let it affect business, but it was certainly affecting my confidence in, in certain things. And, and I would, I would come up with crutches, like, um, things I would do to, uh, to avoid panic attacks. And I still do this stuff today. Like I will, um, if I'm sitting, if I'm sitting in a meeting, sometimes I'll, I'll get a panic attack. So I'll just stand up. And when you're the CEO in a company and you stand up in a meeting, it's not actually that weird. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I did fast forward just like sidebars fast forward like a few years about a year or two ago I, I took a job interview and i had a panic attack during the job interview and i was like fuck i can't stand up because it would be really weird if i just randomly stood up in the middle of this interview <laughs> <laughs> didn't get the job um <laughs> you should have stood up man you should have just told him hey just i stood up and crossed my arms and this yeah. person would have been like what is this fucking power move this guy's doing <laughs> Hey, Mr. Um, be proud. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so finally I did tell my my co-founders, um, Dan and Denis, and you know, they're they're friends of mine, they're business partners. And again, I was I was my fear was that they were going to think less of me, that they were gonna think that I wasn't um I didn't have the capacity to run the company, be the CEO. All of these like societal fears that were built up in me uh around like an anxiety disorder um disorder that's the word i was looking for earlier um and uh and i told them and they were both incredibly understanding and very very supportive and they both had examples in their own lives where either they have had anxiety or know someone very close to them that has and uh and both of them their their response was like like oh man i'm like i'm sorry to hear that like i didn't realize you were under so much stress let me know what i can do to support you and and like we're here for you right and i was like holy <laughs> shit like why like why has it taken me so long to share this information when like the response is so positive and so supportive and 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 so understanding yeah. 
And I and, think that yeah. I think that right there, Topher, is is why we started this podcast. I think. Yeah. Why did I take so long to have that conversation with the people I love and trust and work with and whatever? You know what I mean? When yeah. the response was so was so great, and I think, you know, we've been working on talk. We've talked a lot about what the answer is. The answer is a lot of society and cultures expectations of men right what it means to be a man right right like subconsciously you were you couldn't face you couldn't show weakness because that's like in the deep you know lizard part of your brain because the consequences a thousand years ago of showing weakness was you'd be eaten by a saber-toothed tiger yeah cast from your tribe right so anyway i didn't mean to interrupt your story no 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 that was and i'm sorry that you dealt with that as a friend, you know, like I feel the same way. Like I wish you could have told me so that I could share with you how much stronger people will see you mm-hmm. when you're vulnerable, how, how uh, much more people will get behind you too. Like, yeah. And I, I think, um, I think the reality is I didn't like what you said earlier about the asking for help thing. I didn't know that I could ask for help. And I think that to add to like why we started this podcast, I think it's to like encourage men to know that they can ask for help. Yeah, absolutely. Like absolutely. And that it's not a weakness. It's not it's not a weakness. Like if you're dealing with shit, you can absolutely ask for help. And the people around you almost yeah. not like almost every single person and almost every time they will they will try and help. And yeah. no one will think any less of you. In fact, I would guess that unless they're like a complete prick, they will think more of you for asking for help. From my experience. Mine as well. Mine as well. That's all all I've seen. Yeah. And uh, I just, just to continue on my story and kind of like to summarize, after I told them that the support was incredible and then I realized that it made sense to tell my investors and 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 really share with anyone. And, and I did that and I started telling kind of anyone around me, not, I didn't just like stand in the middle of the office and go like, <laughs> I have anxiety <laughs> and I, you may see me have a panic attack, but not, not far from that. To be honest, every conversation I have with my, with someone who was close to the company, I, I shared that with them. I don't know if I shared it with every employee, but when, when the, when it made sense to share it, I did. Um, and in almost every single case, people asked a, how they could support me and where I needed help. Um, and not, not like, how can we fix your anxiety? Right. But like, is there anything I can do to support you? Or, and and in most cases it wasn't an or it was an and they had either dealt with anxiety themselves or were dealing with something um, that was causing anxiety and stress or knew someone very close to them that was dealing with something very similar yeah um, and i at that point i was like why the fuck are we being so secretive about this shit? like every entrepreneur that i talk to almost every entrepreneur um is dealing with this ad- admits to dealing with this or i know they're dealing with it and they're just not admitting it but i think that's Thanks for sharing. I mean, you know what I mean? You've been sharing that, but it doesn't get less powerful or less meaningful the more you share it. You know what I mean? Because yeah. that's a that's a part of you that at one point of at one point in your life you were outright ashamed of, right? Like, yeah. There were times I'm sure where you could never picture sitting in front of a screen and telling possibly three or four listeners. <laughs> Hopefully. That you suffered from anxiety, right? I mean, and then, and on my side, like I, I didn't really get into much detail about about what happened to me as a kid, and maybe I will later. But uh, I'm still working right through that trauma with yeah. professionals, and that's the other thing. Like, you don't have to just talk to a friend. Like, there are professionals. Yes, there's long waiting lists, and you know, there's helplines, and there's there's lots of there are resources. So if you look in your wherever you are, like people want to help. People generally do want to help. It's a really good point though. I think on the on the professional help side, there's there's absolutely no shame in going to see a therapist. There's a demographic that we as, we assume it's like it's cool and okay to go see a therapist. Um and I think like TV has done a a weird job with that, but the reality is like a lot of people see therapists for for a lot of people that's an incredibly valuable resource. Um and uh you know what we're doing with this podcast is non-professional by all means, um, it's just yeah. having conversations and talking about just how how supportive a um, a support group of like friends and family can be just with just with talking. It doesn't have right. to be 
constantly talking about mental health stuff, just just connecting on real shit. Yeah, um, yeah. We're trying to redefine what it means to be a man. Exactly, exactly. So ask for help and 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 talk to your friends be, and be vulnerable. Yeah, exactly. Whether to a friend or a professional or yeah. I mean, an, an example, just like in my day to day life now, where the level of shame from from my anxiety has like just dissipated so much is like now when i get my haircut and i'm not making this up when i get my haircut i remind my barber that i have anxiety and can suffer from panic attacks because getting my haircut for some reason like triggers panic attacks like eight times out of ten and they're not bad because i know that it's i know it's going to happen and i know i have like tools that i use to like get through yeah. it but I, I every every time i go to my barber in in front of whoever the fuck is there yeah I, I don't take him to the side and i'm not like hey man just remind i'm like oh yeah just like just want to remind you like i may have a panic attack like, i was like if i close my eyes and i'm like breathing that's all it is and like yeah. if you ask me something and i'm not responding that's all it is right and he's just like okay and like maybe he's like fuck that strange but also hopefully he's like man i'm glad this guy's honest with me and that would like encourage him to share more shit if he doesn't already. And I don't know if he does because I don't know the guy very well. Yeah, yeah. But like, like there's it's so shitty to have a panic attack that like it makes no sense to like put more value on like giving the panic attack power over like my own shame and insecurity. Because as soon as I do that, it diffuses it, and I'm like, I don't give a fuck if I have a panic attack right now. I just told the person who's right next yeah. to me. And I'm like, all of my worst fears, like if I pass out or something like that, which are never going to happen, but all of my worst fears are dissolved because the person who's right next to me knows. Right, right. And that's like, that's that's exactly what I'm working on, <clears throat> it, the same, um, you know, just just different different animals, different shame, different different things, right? Like every person is is like working on that same version, right? Like, yeah. yeah. No, and there's, I mean, I, I think that society has also put different levels of uh, like intensity on these different, these different things. So what you're dealing with, like, is I, I think, and I, I don't want to be like disrespectful or like, or anything, but I think it's, it's a little bit more, it's, it's dirtier than what I'm, than what I'm dealing. Like addiction is harder for people to like ignore or, or just sort of brush there's, off. I think that's a huge challenge for you. Yeah. I don't know I mean, if you feel that way or not, but look, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a stigma around drug addicts. I think that's maybe what I'm trying to say. Yeah, there is a stigma. I think it's getting better. Um, you know, like I, I certainly have lost the shame of being a drug addict, you know, because I've met so many great people who have battled it themselves and they're great people. Like, mm -hmm. like that doesn't have to define you. That's just, and it, and it won't define me. It's just one more thing that I have or whatever is part of me, but yeah. I, I'm not ashamed of that anymore. No, I'm still then, working on shame and worthiness, but, but yeah, I, th I think on that note though, Toph, like, uh, I'm, I'm emotionally spent pal. No, I, I, I hear you. I can, I can see it in your. Pale, 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 pale face. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's. Uh, yeah, you know, this, 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 this is who we are. 